get rid of your fig leaves. Redeeming the Time Brothers podcast, a podcast by Gene Kissinger and Norman Kissinger, two brothers who spent their lives in ministry and raising large families. Our desire is to provide a digital place for those who long to belong. We also want to provide relationship help for marriages that are struggling. We believe that marriage is under attack right now. So we're going to be digging into that in a minute. I do want to make a little housekeeping note. I have a little fella here that has autism, and he is watching one of his favorite movies, and he lets out some squeals every once in a while. Uh, Don't worry, there's nothing going on. He just gets real happy about Madagascar 3, Madagascar 2, uh, Cars 3. What is the other one? There's a a couple of them that I've seen about a thousand times, and he loves them, and sometimes he will get very celebratory. In fact, I always wished when I was a pastor, my people would get a celebratory over one of my sermons, as he does over that movie. He gets plumb Twitter-pated beside himself. But anyway, in case you hear some squeals, that's just that's just my little man. Um, we last two weeks uh, we've been talking about this concept of having a maximum marriage. We're taking the concepts out of a book uh, by uh, John Maxwell of the same name, Maximum Marriage, a series of Sunday school classes that I did probably about ten years ago. But I, I found it very helpful, and I, I want you to understand something. I'm not telling you about marriage because I have a perfect marriage. I'm working on my marriage. I want to be better. I strive to be a better husband every day. I I want to learn how to communicate better. I want to learn how to be as committed as I possibly can be. Uh, I want to speak love in a proper love language. I literally try to do better every day. But marriage is definitely something that requires work. It's not something that just happens. And banish that idea from your mind, the idea that somehow you're just naturally going to have uh, the best relationship out there. You need to put some work into it, and, and your mate needs to put some work into it together. Remember in the first lesson, we talked about the danger of competition and the power of completion. And In the last lesson, we talked about priorities, about how God needs to be the number one priority in your life, and then your mate, and then your children, and then your job. And when you have those priorities right, then you unleash the supernatural factor of God's power into your relationship. And and he can do things that are beyond what can happen physically in the relationship because he can do something supernaturally. Um, And then he he is able to make up for those lacks that are in our life and also guide us. He is able to help the wife be the best wife she can be, the husband be the best husband he can be. And so I think we need to get that supernatural factor. Then we dealt with uh, the concept of dealing with guilt. Not running from it, not trying to drown it out, but and not playing a blame game, but instead coming to God in honest confession, saying, God, I've blown it. And who hasn't blown it in this thing called marriage? Who hasn't blown it in this thing called life? And admitting that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, and confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life literally opens up a saving relationship, a born-from-above relationship that allows his power to flow into your life and also rescues you from a terrible place called hell. Kind of a good idea to nail that down. If you if you need any help with that concept, I would love to talk to you after this is over. I'd be glad to message with you. We can uh, somehow try a video conference or something, but I would dearly love to communicate salvation to you if you don't know that as a, as a no-so-certainty within your life. Tonight, uh, or today, We want to talk about throw away your fig leaves, dealing with the issue of intimacy within your relationship, how to develop intimacy, and how to get rid of those things that are stopping intimacy from happening. So as we begin this thing called marriage, we're talking about the very initial marriage of Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's so much 
fruit that can be picked literally out of this garden of marriage and it can we can learn a lot of lessons here um, we're going to talk about severance we're going to talk about leaving cleaving and intimacy today um, there we talk about severance and a lot of times I don't think people understand what I mean by that uh, the, it, the Bible says in Genesis that a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife that leave is the key word in this concept of severance you've all known somebody that was so attached to mommy and daddy's apron strings that they really never got out of their family of origin into the family into the marriage family they never really made that separation now this is not somehow a geologic or, or geog geographical distancing yourself from your parents although that can in some cases is actually what needs to happen but certainly it's an attitude that this new family is the paramount family it's the primary family for you it's the unit in which God works and and just as when you were a child the paramount family was your family of origin that was the place where God was working but once marriage happens there's a transference and now that you have to create a severance a cutting of those ties so that you're not mentally emotionally financially uh, tied to your parents apron strings and now you're moving into this new relationship in a powerful way now a couple of things that can help you to do this concept of severance number one do not talk about marriage problems with your mother and your father find a neutral third party here's why because if you talk about marriage problems with your mommy and your daddy you're forcing them to choose between you somebody that they the mom carried for nine months and that they fed for 18 years and this other person that they really don't have much stake in the relationship with them and they're probably gonna choose you and so that they're gonna sort of pack up with you against your mate your mates gonna feel threatened and is gonna take off over the deal or the other thing that can happen is if you put them in that situation let's say they happen to agree with your mate you bring your problem that your mate does this that and the other thing and your parents stand you down and say that's not you you shouldn't uh, be expecting that of him or her and now you're mad at them because they chose your mate over you there's literally no way your parents can win if you take a problem to them a marriage problem to them come to a third party somebody like me a marriage counselor a pastor uh, a good friend that you both respect that's mature and talk to them about the problem and agree to do what they tell you to do but do not go to your parents you're putting them in an unwinnable situation it's inappropriate of you to do it it's going to create a division and quite honestly what I saw happen was the couple would end up making up but the in-laws and their son-in-law the in-laws and their daughter-in-law never made up because they they held a permanent grudge uh, because they didn't have the same level of intimate kind of love to work through the issue and so they felt they felt like that that person was not good enough for their child you can't put them in that position so talk to a third party look I always tell people that, that I, I can tell you the hard truth about your situation and if you get absolutely mad at me you can find another pastor you can find another counselor you're not gonna find another mom and dad so don't don't do dumb stuff and so anyway, I, I think that you get what I'm saying. So learn to leave. Um, so don't discuss marital problems. Find a neutral third party. And then uh, just make sure that you're maintaining an appropriate uh, space for your new relationship to grow in. What some people do is they just, they, they follow they all the time whenever there's a holiday tradition they spend all their holidays all of their free time all their off time 
with with this one set of parents and you need to make your own little family traditions now that doesn't mean that you don't go to mom and dad's for christmas or don't go for thanksgiving or that kind of a thing but definitely set your own priorities there so that your new relationship can can prosper so second thing after leaving is cleaving a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife if they would have had the word they would have used the word super glue uh, it was a a permanency was the concept that was there cleaving together it's not i'm sticking with you it's not i'm stuck with you that's a different thing i think in this pandemic thing and all the the quarantining there's a whole lot of families felt like they were stuck with each other no this is not what this is talking about this is sticking with each other in the hard times in the challenging times and you're going to choose to stay together to work it out um, one of the ways that I used to illustrate this is I would tell them to tear, when I was doing premarital counseling, I would encourage them to tear the D section out of their dictionary. And what I meant by that is get rid of the word divorce. Because there's so many people that use divorce as a kind of a nuclear option in any argument that they get into. They go, oh yeah, well I'll just leave if you do that. Oh yeah, well I'll just go to my mother's. Oh yeah, well I'll just get a divorce. And then it happens on both sides. I've watched men and women use this uh, leaving strategy, use this uh, where they're leaving their mate, leaving their marriage, leaving, and, and they use divorce as the ultimate end to any argument. And so they'll be in an argument over something as, as world changing as how to load the dishwasher and they're ending it with, the, with threatening the relationship with a divorce. And then inevitably when I would see that happen, I'd have the, the guy or the gal come dragging in after they, they finally ended up getting a divorce that they really didn't want but they were using as a threat against the other person. What the other person did is they got sick of, of, of being threatened with divorce. They went to a divorce lawyer got a divorce, slapped it down in front of the person that was threatening to give it all the time, and ultimately the relationship was destroyed by stupid stuff you say. Watch your mouth if you're married and determine that you're going to you're going to be in it to win it. You're not going to be in this thing just until it gets a little rough. This isn't a starter marriage. This is the real deal and you're going to do everything in your power to make this marriage the best marriage in the United States of America. America. You're going to do that. So, and that's that's cleaving, sticking together. That that's kind of that. When I talked earlier about the sense of completion, that's being. If they would have the word, they would use the word just a super glue. It was a bond, an unbreakable bond. There are some kinds of glues right now that, that if you were to glue two pieces of wood together, they're so strong that in pulling them apart, if you were able to exert enough force to pull them apart, the wood would break before the bond would break. I mean, it, that's how powerful those glues are and polymers are. But what we're talking about is the relationship being so together that it's just almost impossible to break that thing. And so it's a powerful concept. And then intimacy. Intimacy is that sense of oneness that results from leaving and cleaving. So once you have left these other controlling relationships, once you have are, are cleaving together, now you get this thing called intimacy. And this intimacy is a powerful, profound thing. It's, what, it's literally what we've been looking for all of our lives, is we want somebody that we can be real with and that we can be intimate with, somebody that we can trust, somebody that can trust us. 
somebody that we can help and somebody that we can receive help from. It's the ultimate kind of a partnership, but it's so far beyond any other partnership. There's nothing else like it, not in the business world, not in the scholastic teamwork even of, of, of football teams or whatever. This is something deeper than that, and it's just a profound level of intimacy where we're free uh, of inhibitions, but we're free to move into that place. It says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Now, I would just have a side note here about, about sex. Um, some people got the idea that Satan invented sex. Satan didn't invent sex, God did. And uh, God's design for it was within the marriage relationship. And inside that marriage relationship, it is profound and it is life-giving. It's pleasurable and it, it's productive because it brings about children and the continuation of the family line. But it, 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 it serves as a help in that glue that holds the, the, the couple together. But we need to be sure that we understand this intimacy. This intimacy is more than just the physical, though. It, it has to do it has to do with an emotional intimacy. Uh, a relational intimacy, a physical intimacy, all of those kind of knit together, th these cores knit together in, in creating a tight bond. And so it's referring to so much more than sex, it's about two people who are really there for each other. Boy, I wanna encourage you to uh, really be there for your mate. Don't, don't leave them hanging and stuff. Instead, really invest in that relationship. But even if you gotta sacrifice something else, be sure that you're there for your mate because that's the one relationship that is ordained of God. And so enjoy the product of oneness. Um, enjoying the product of oneness means you're free from reacting to your mate's weaknesses. I know this is going to shock some of you, but your mates have weaknesses. Now, when you're dating, you don't even know they have weaknesses. You're not even aware of them somehow. You, uh, it's almost like a light, uh, the clouds spread from heaven and the, the light of God shine down on that person and they seem like they're bulletproof and 10 feet tall and and just uh, they're, they're witty, they're smooth, they're, they're all the things that you're looking for because that's a part of the relationship that psychologists call limerence and it's where your, your brain is firing off on those hormones so much that you really can't see them clearly. And so that's why you need to date them long enough to get through the limerence so they can see who they really are before you decide whether you're going to marry them or not. Because if you marry in the limerence stage, you're going to ultimately, 99% of the time, be bitterly disappointed. But, and then in the early stage of marriage, often we're aware of their flaws, but we're willing to overlook them for the relationship and also uh, because of the, you know, again, that, that deep passionate love that we have for them. But what happens a little bit later after that is all of a sudden all you can see are the weaknesses. Uh, be careful of allowing a negativity to flow into your life uh, towards your mate. Uh, it, it, it's, it's easy in this third, about third phase of this relationship thing to only see the faults and flaws of the other person. And so it's real easy for you right now to make a list of 10 weaknesses your mate has, but it's really hard for you to make a list of 10 strengths they have because you can no longer see them anymore. You're in a dangerous place when that's the case, so you need to you need to understand that will erode away your intimacy if you don't deal with that. So we're going to talk about how to get free from uh, reacting to your mate's weakness. What I mean by that is, like, d during uh, one woman complained that as soon as she got married, she became a football widow. Uh, she thought that he was going to spend all this time with her. And then on the weekend, he spent his entire weekend watching football, not spending any time with her. I got some friends whose their wives are hunting widows. They they hunt every season, everything, and they find themselves being a hunting widow. 
Now, that's not that there's anything wrong with hunting or with football, but we need to be careful as, as husbands in particular or as wives that we don't allow any kind of a hobby that we have to come in front of the relationship and become more important than the relationship itself. That's dangerous ground that you don't want to communicate that to somebody that you want to be in your life forever. You want to make sure they know that they're number one in your life, not your hobby. Uh, again, I said it's good to have a hobby, but you need to be sure that you build balance into that thing. Or what, what some some moms feel like that it's uh, you know it's daddy when uh, when company's over, but it's mom when somebody needs to get breakfast for them, and they feel like the dad gets the cheers and they get the chores, and they feel kind of bitter about that. And well, they should. We again, we need to be balanced in those those work-a-day work things that happen around the house, us fellas need to be sure that we're digging in and helping out because the wife doesn't want to feel like she's the only one that's doing this stuff. And she shouldn't have to be the only one that's doing it, man. I, I change diapers. I do laundry. Uh, I'm not a bit scared of a dishwasher and a sink full of dishes. Uh, I know how to run a vacuum cleaner. I can handle all those things and I can do it as good as my wife. Don't tell her because she thinks she can do it better, but I, I can do as good as her. And I should be doing it. I should be throwing myself into that. It's a teamwork that you're handling whatever comes up together, not something where you're making one person do all the work and the other person get all the credit for it. So, But you get free from reacting to the, the weaknesses of your mate, and that can be a dangerous thing to, to react to that. So so if the, if the people aren't careful, they all of a sudden see these, uh, these weaknesses and they go, well, if I get rid of the mate, then I get rid of the weakness. So the woman that had a football, she was a football widow, her husband she thinks if I just divorce him then I'll get somebody that'll be better or the the woman that has a you know a, a, she's a hunting widow she thinks if I get rid of him then I fix the problem no that's not it you, you need you need to find a way instead of overreacting to the to the differences to the weaknesses you need to find a way to fix them and there's multiple ways to do that there's not just one so for example if you if you were a hunting widow you might learn to hunt and spend some time with your husband that way. Or again, if you're the this person that, that feels like that you're a football, I'm, I'm a football widower. My wife loves football, and uh, I, I I don't care much about it. But I, I watch it with her because it means something to her. You see what I'm saying? So we can find a way to make things work. Uh, and then you're released from the the performance treadmill. Uh, one couple whose marriage was filled with explosive discussions. Have you ever had one of those explosive discussions? We're at odds at the time, and the husband got about when the husband got home. She thought it should be 5:30, and she made a rule that if he wasn't home, there was no dinner. Uh, she thought she had it, but uh, it, she felt like the score was one to zero, one for her, zero to him. Well, he he thought, you know what? I don't like being told what I have to do. I'm not a little child. And uh, so he decided that he'd stay out to whenever he wanted to stay out, stay at work, and he'd get a dinner out, and it might be even better than she cooked. And so he felt like it was one-to-one. -one. Um, when in reality, they were both losing because they're playing, they're doing a scorekeeping game. Uh, when counselors talk about scorekeeping, what they mean is that very thing, that idea that I'm going to get one over on you. I, I'm going to win this one. And, and this idea that I, I've got one point, you've got zero points. You've got three points, I've got four points, and this deal, and it creates a deal where we're trying to play a gotcha, where you come up with the meanest thing to say, you come up with the most restrictive rule, you come up with the most bizarre uh, 
uh, kind of thing uh, to win. Well, it's not about winning and losing. It's about developing the relationship and about planting things that are going to grow up into a good garden. So instead of seeing yourself in a prison of circumstances, see yourself in a classroom of opportunity. Now, what she what she was advised by her counselor, the first the counselor set her down and said, well, now how did that work for you? You know, setting this rule that if you don't come home at 530, you're not going to, I'm not going to, there's going to be no dinner for you. Did that work well? And she said, no, it didn't. Well, it didn't work at all. It accomplished the opposite effect. And so he said, well, let, why, don't we, why don't we try something that might work? If that didn't work, why don't we try something different? Because insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting some kind of a different result. And so if you're doing that in your marriage, if you're continuing to do the same stupid thing again and again and hoping somehow it's going to work out different this time, you might want to try something radically different. And so what she did is she sat him down and she said, look, I love you and, and I miss you all day and I just really want to spend time with you. But you can come home anytime you want to come home, but I, I'd like you to be home at 530 and, uh, but, but I just want you to know I love you and I want to spend time with you. Well, after that, he started coming home at 530 when it wasn't a power play. And, and this performance treadmill will, will sort of set up a power power plays and the, the gotcha games, and you can't afford that. And then some su suggested steps to oneness. Alone, without your mate present, because they don't need to see this list, make a list of all your mate's strengths and in another column, their weaknesses. Then list your wrong responses to the weaknesses. How do you respond in a way that aggravates the situation? One of the things, I, I have a rule that, that my kids, unless I've delegated authority to a child, I don't let them do any parenting or correcting of another child. Because what happens is that they'll let one of their disagreements escalate and they have a tendency to have wrong reactions to what the, the other child says. So say they tried to correct a child over a thing without, without my permission, that they try to correct the child, then the child bucks up against them and then they overreact to it and it creates this escalation that goes on until finally I hear the yelling in the other room and I gotta come in and solve the thing. So my rule is, this is my job and you will not take my job. If you've got a problem with one of the other kids, you come to me and talk to me and I, I will handle I will either dismiss the case because I don't think it's an issue or I will bring corrective action into it, but you will not take my job. And I'm almost harsher on, <laughs> on the, the taking of my parental authority than I am on some act of disobedience because it creates a, a havoc, a chaos in the house and the same thing in, in your relationships if you're laying down the law in your relationship you need to be careful because you're going to create almost the opposite effect that you're trying to achieve and so you need to be be certain that you're drawing them i think it was abraham lincoln that said you catch more flies with a teaspoon of honey than a gallon of gall now why you want flies i have no idea but i, I think you understand the picture there's some things that are certainly more enticing and, and flow with nature rather than against nature. And so people would, would rather be drawn by words of kindness and affirmations of love than they would by you're going to do this and we put them on a performance treadmill and if they don't perform, we, we end up sort of checking off the boxes that they don't make it in their, their employee review. Well, we're not their boss. We're not their employer. God is their boss. God is the one that's going to review them, not us. And so we can let them go and they can let us go so that we can just be husband and wife and try to work our way through this. So make a list of their strengths and their weaknesses and your wrong responses to them. 
And then it's going to be hard because some of you have been married long enough that it's hard for you to think of a strength that your mate has. But if you can think about it this way, what have you heard other people comment or compliment your mate on? And a lot of times they'll, they'll say out loud what their strengths are. They can see their strengths, but you can't because you're so mad at them over, over some of the you know, the day-to-day -day struggles that you get into in a relationship that you can't even see it. So list those strengths, list those weaknesses. And so maybe an example of the wrong reaction we're talking about. So the husband is overweight, you decide to embarrass him in front of his friends about his clothes not fitting anymore. Well, is that really, that's, that's what you would want him to do to you? You know, is that, is that you, you think that's gonna work to help him to lose weight? Is it by embarrassing him in front of his friends? Uh, probably going to achieve the opposite. He's not going to care what you think because uh, you belittle him. Or your wife is always late and you decide to use her razor sharp wit and go, Grandma was slow, but she was old. You know, well, maybe she maybe she's getting herself and the kids ready and you're only getting you ready and it takes you about five minutes to get ready, but she's got to get spend five minutes on each kid and then also get herself ready because they they take their appearance very important. She wants to be to be a beautiful bride for you when she goes out. She represents the choice that you made when you got married. And so rather than just sitting back and being a smart aleck, why don't you go help with the kids and get them tucked into the car and and, and encourage her instead of belittling her. Um, so admit the wrong responses to yourself and to your mate. Um, very seldom in a relationship will you find a problem that's only one person's fault. What I found is faults are almost never a 50-50 proposition that is half you, half me. It's, it's just, it's always we created the system that made this problem. And if you view it that way, then the two of you can work together to fix the problem. Again, Brother O'Donnell over in Twin, he always arm wrestles the bride-to-be, and he beats her. Then they do it together, and they beat him. And his message is, when you tackle a problem together, when you see it as a problem as over there, and the two of you work on ways to solve that problem together, you can fix the problem. But if you if you play the blame game, well, you know, you're always late, you're overweight, you're this, you're that, then all of a sudden the only answer is to get rid of the other person to get somebody new. Well, don't do that. See, the problem is something over there sitting in a chair and the two of you brainstorming together how you're going to fix that problem, not how you're going to fix the other person that is just somehow fundamentally broken and can never, you know, can never live up to your expectations. There's a big difference there. Uh, so problems are two-sided. We both are a part of the problem. A lot of times it's our reaction as much as the person's initial wrong response. So be thankful for your mate, especially in those areas that you don't like. These areas can be God's shaping tool in your life. Marriage that doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And what, what you don't, when you don't become bitter will make you better. Uh, when you choose not to be bitter, you'll be made better. Um, God uses sometimes difficult marriages to shape you into the image of Christ. Let me say that one more time. God sometimes uses difficult marriages to shape you into the image of Christ. That means the other person might serve as a sandpaper in your life. Are you familiar with how a, a pearl is created within an oyster? Well, they say happens. I, I don't know this, but what I've read is that a, sand, a grain of sand gets inside the shell of the oyster 
and it irritates the oyster. What the, so what the oyster does is secretes a, a substance called mother of pearl over the sand to sort of round off those sharp edges and it keeps secreting the mother of pearl until ultimately that grain of sand, that point of irritation became a thing of beauty or a pearl that, that is magnificent and that people try to collect from all over the world. And one of the things you'll find in life is some of the greatest growth points in your life came out of some of the most painful times in your life. And so rather than wasting that suffering by just being bitter about it, why don't you step back and, and look at some of those irritating things that your mate does and wonder, is God using this as a kind of sandpaper? to shape me into the image of Christ. Now leave the mate to God. God's job is straightening them out. That's not your job to straighten them out. It's God's job to straighten them out. Once you set yourself free from that, that reduces a lot of this performance stuff that's going on. But that they're God's kid. They're God's problem. So <laughs> you need to kind of look at them and go, not my circus, not my monkeys. You know, <laughs> God, this is your kid. And if you want to change something in them, you go ahead and do it. I'm gonna. It's my job to love them. It's my job to, to set it the best example that I can in front of them. It's my job to encourage them, uh, but I don't got to fix them. I don't got to make them all better. You, that's your job. You see what I'm saying by that? And that kind of sets you free from uh, allowing the sandpaper of the pain of this current experience to shape you and to, to smooth off the image of Christ in your life. And then look for a lesson to be learned through your mate's weaknesses. Instead of seeing yourself in a prison of circumstances, a classroom of opportunity. The example of the husband and the wife whose late could yield a lesson on the husband helping with the kids and chores, as we talked about before. And then write out a commitment to your mate and read it to him or her verbally. Try including three elements to this written commitment. Confession. Without condemnation, confess what you did wrong, not what they did that made you do wrong. Write out a confession of what you did wrong, not what they did to make you do wrong. In other words, own your part in it. You can't make them own their part, but you can show them what that looks like. And then resolve to look beyond your mate's weaknesses and outer appearances to the beauty and wholeness of the person that God has brought into your life. Look beyond the flaws to the, to the, the grain, the core of that person that you fell in love with in the first place. And then a third thing is be thankful for the one who can complete you, which is, is, is God is using this other person to bring things into your life that you wouldn't be able to get any other way in any other relationship. Seeing your mate as a completer instead of rejecting them and suggesting uh, with them as, as and, and struggling with them and in, in competing. The key to all this is to verbalize your love and commitment to your mate. If you will do this one thing, It'll open your relationship and your relationship will begin to grow and you'll begin to grow more importantly. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together with my dear friends. I pray that you'd bless them in all that they do. Bless their marriages, God. It's under attack. Satan hates marriage because it's a picture of our relationship to you. He wants people to think they don't need it anyway. It's just a piece of paper. He wants people to think they can't live it anyway because they're, they're married to somebody that's just uh, worthless. God, he wants to attack it in every way he can. He wants to draw him away into adulterous relationships. He wants to do all that, God. But Lord, we ask you to help us in this thing called marriage. It's hard for us. It's not, it's not easy for us, God. We need your help. We need your supernatural, uh, miracle-working power to help us to be better, God. And we come before you saying we're not better. We, we're stupid, God, and we need your wisdom. We're weak, and we need your strength. We're 
Lord, we're, we're, fault, we're full of faults and we need your perfecting, completing work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your time.